And here we go. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios, it's overtime with William Patterson and Dawson Wise joining you on a Wednesday night. Great first hour we just had. Um, Jordan Moore joined us to talk about the Tennessee loss last night to South Carolina. Also some good calls um, talking about the NCAA investigation. Great first hour. Let's continue it here in the next. Uh, later in the hour, we'll talk about Joel Embiid injured last night against the Warriors and what that means for the Sixers, the MVP, and should the NBA change the 65-game rule to be, uh, I guess, what's the word for it? Um, eligible for eligible, awards. Yeah, yeah, eligible for awards. Yes, we'll talk about that later in the hour. But first, we head to the phones, and we've got Joshy Boy on the line. What's up, Joshy? What up, guys? How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Good. I told you uh, to save me the other night. You would have made money. When, uh, on the Miami Heat bet? Yeah, the sun... The Suns and uh, Nets won, so the parlay full faded. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah. okay, okay, okay. I, I thought you said they both hit. I was about to say, hold on now. I didn't. I didn't yeah. Yeah. So uh, with Super Bowl 58 being half a week away, who are you guys leaning towards taking? Um, let's see. When the line first came out, I uh, I threw money down on two and a half, um, and then I also threw it on money line uh, when it got down to one thirty. Chiefs or 49ers? Uh, uh, Chief. Yes, Chiefs. I, I took the plus. I took the Chiefs money line. Yes, yeah, so I, I put money yeah. down on those um, in the event it would change. Now, last year was kind of similar. I think the Chiefs opened um, as the favorite, and the Eagles ended up being the. Uh, I think it might have been the Eagles opened up as as the underdogs and they moved to favorite. So I was wondering if that was going to happen again this year with the Chiefs starting off as underdogs and moving to the right. favorites. Um, it doesn't seem to be moving that way, however. Um, so that kind of worries me because I feel like uh, Vegas is wanting to take all the plus money on, on the Chiefs. And I, I mean, I feel like the matchup, at least on paper, I mean, Mahomes versus Purdy. Um, sounds like you know a, a clear advantage in quarterback play for the Chiefs, yeah. but um, I, I mean I, right now I've got the Chiefs. Yes, I do too. So uh, why why do you think the Chiefs are an underdog in this game? Because on paper, 49ers have been the better team all season, but in the playoffs, the Chiefs are the better team, and I think they got the better team in the trenches as well. Yeah, you know, I think it also – I think it has to do with what these teams look like this season. The Chiefs really haven't hit their stride in the passing game until as of late um, with Rasheed Rice becoming their go-to number one now. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's had a couple of big catches for them. Um, Travis Kelsey seems to be playing a, a whole different style of football in the playoffs. They've been great, and their defense has been too. Um, however, the 49ers have been the most dominant team outside of the Ravens really all season. Right. And um, I think they're just thinking that defense plays well into uh, what what the Chiefs try to do. They try to throw um, on the outside of the yards or outside of the lines um, where the Lions counterly threw inside of the lines and had a lot of success there. Um, and also the, yeah. the Chiefs don't run it that well, even though Pacheco's gotten some good runs. Um, so I think they're thinking that the, the 49ers have an advantage defensively and really, I think the game comes down to that 49ers offense and what they're able to do against a Chiefs defense that's been pretty stout all playoffs. 
Um, so when I look at it, I think they just see an advantage defensively against the Chiefs. I kind of disagree with that because I think Chiefs defense has been playing really good in the playoffs, and if they can stop the 49ers, I like Kansas City by at least 7 or 10. And 49ers defense has been showing weakness in the first two games in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I, I will say, I mean, look at that second half against the Lions, though. I mean, it's kind of like they yeah. clicked a button and then, boom, they got right back to where they uh, have been so dominant this season. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously in the Super Bowl, you can't come out and play the way they did against the Lions in that first half. But um, uh, I, I think there's a slight advantage to the 49ers. I think from top to bottom, they're a little bit better. I think they've got the better secondary um, than the Chiefs do. Uh, but the Chiefs' defense has been great. I mean, Spags deserves a ton of credit for what he did last week. Totally yeah. uh, put Lamar Jackson in a box. I think the best matchup in this game is the Chiefs' offense versus the 49ers' defense. Are the Chiefs able to get that same momentum out of the receiving core um, right. against the 49ers' defense? I think because it's the biggest question. Because it can't be a one-man show in Kelsey, though. you no. got to – have more wide receivers like Rice and uh, Pacheco depending on them. Yeah, and that's that was the Chiefs' problem halfway through the year and really up until yeah. Christmas because they were just so one-dimensional in the passing game. Everyone on the on the field knew where the ball was going, and you had guys dropping passes and and you know getting open but not being able to haul it in. So it right. created a huge problem for the Chiefs, and I think they've really figured it out as of late. And and that's why I think they're in the Super Bowl right now is because they've been able to figure that out. And they look as good as they have in any other year, even though they might not be as talented. Yeah. So uh, I was talking with Rusty a little bit yesterday about last night's game. And yeah. we both said we wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee drops a game like South Carolina but goes up the rub and beats Kentucky because it's college basketball and college basketball is crazy. Yeah, look, college yeah. basketball is crazy, and I mean, yeah. I think yeah. uh, I think that'd be a, a a tough. I guess all right. Let's play it out real quick. If you knew that you were going to beat Kentucky, but it had to come to the cost of losing to South Carolina at home, would you yeah. take that? Oh, I mean, yeah, you take a win at Rupp every single time, right? Yeah. So I guess that, hey, if that's what you if, if that's what works out, then I think you know I think we'll excuse the South Carolina blunder or blunder. Uh, but I think last night was also just a horrible performance all the way around. Um, worst yeah. offensive night of the year. Uh, defense was not the same. Worst production from the bench and, and the um, other pieces around Connect. Uh, it was a bad loss. No way around it. But if, if Tennessee's able to go up to Rupp and beat them, I, look, it'd be worth it. Yeah, it would. So uh, what do you guys think about this whole NCAA stuff with uh, Day Plowman and the NIL stuff? Because I'm – I am glad our chancellor is sticking up for us, and I think other people are finally realizing that it's a bunch of BS, and I think the NCAA will end up settling. What do you guys think? Yeah, the analogy I gave earlier in the last hour was what the NCAA is doing here is basically like your teacher telling you that you did your homework wrong two years later. And um, yeah. I think that they're backtracking and now going back on stuff that happened in 2022. I don't know how that's just now crossing their desk. Um, but I think they know what they created in the NIL and transfer portal. And now it's gotten too big to where they're trying to go back and patch things up. And I think 
that's why you've seen Florida State now getting called uh, for pen, or being penalized, Florida being penalized. Now Tennessee is the most recent one, and they all have to do with these NIL collectives that um, at the time when they were doing these things, recruiting these players, NIL collectives were very, very, and very, very young. Not many people knew what they were. Now everyone has one. Um, so I think they're just trying to backtrack here. And I think what you've seen from Donnie Plowman, the University of Tennessee, now the state of Tennessee, um, I think they all understand and know what they are responsible for. And they don't think they're responsible for these allegations. And they're doubling down, tripling down, and making sure the NCAA knows that, hey, uh, we know we're not in the wrong, and we're going to make sure you know that as well. We're happy to do whatever you want, wherever you want to go, in court, online, whatever you want to do. We're willing to let you know that we're still, uh, we still think we're in the right and to not break any policies. And I think um, that message Donnie Plowman put out yesterday was the first sign of that. Today you've seen yeah. uh, the state of Tennessee and Virginia uh, now come out and make a court case out of it. Yeah, I think Tennessee um, has doubled down on, on the allegations and, as Dondi said, you know, a couple of years ago when the Pruitt stuff was going on, they admitted they were wrong. They cooperated. So it's not like Tennessee would have anything to hide or not want to cooperate if they were in the wrong. If someone is accusing you of something and you were guilty of it, I don't think you'd come out and make such a big deal. I think Tennessee and, and Donnie Plowman and Danny White have done a great job handling it. Right. Yeah, William, one more question out the door. From last year's Super Bowl, Chiefs and Eagles, Kind of a questionable call at the end of uh, that pass interference. Could you see if the game is being close with like two minutes left in the fourth, could you see any questionable calls like last year? Have a good night, guys. Thank you so much for the call, Joshy. You know, I, I think football is just so situational. You you can't really predict a call like that. Um, and, and, look, they're bad calls in every game. They're, they're human. There's human error, and, and that's a whole other conversation, the fact that we have humans still refing and, and spotting these footballs right. in, in 2024. But um, I, I think that you can't really predict that. And, you know, if there were a, a bad call here or there, um, there's also 60 minutes of football they have to play, and I don't think one play or one call defines an entire game, and I don't think last year did either. Now, obviously, it was a very tough break. Uh, for the Eagles uh, to, to to cough up that penalty there and give the Chiefs um, the ability to run that game out. But at the same time, the Eagles were winning that game for a while, had the opportunity to put them away, and they didn't. So you can look back in any situation and say, well, the call right there is what is what opened that game back up. But, yeah, uh, but there were also a couple other dis- situations in that game where they could have had a chance to put it away, and they didn't. And to me, it's not about necessarily maybe a bad call or a questionable call. It's more that – you know, sometimes in these games, it's a good call, but it's a big call. And I think when when games like this have a, a close matchup, and I, I think I know we'll talk about this. We'll we'll exhaust the Super Bowl matchup mm-hmm. over the next week and a half. But uh, it, this feels like a game that could come down to a, a last possession kind of thing, where yeah, one or two calls could end up deciding a game at least right then and there. Um, so it's not as much bad calls for me, but definitely big consequential calls. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, now let's get back into the NFL, and uh, let's talk about the Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are expected to hire Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their successor to Pete Carroll, league sources told um, on Wednesday. Uh, McDonald, 36 years old, will become the ninth head coach in franchise history and the youngest head coach in the NFL, passing recently hired New England Patriot and former N- or VFL uh, Gerard Mayo, who's 37. 
Um, so McDonald spent the last two seasons running the Ravens' defense, which finished the 2023 regular season ranked first in scoring and fourth in yards allowed. Really good numbers there. Um, Baltimore ranked eighth and twelfth in those categories in 2022 under him. So a big improvement from a, a already really good unit in 2022. Is this a good hire for Seattle? From their perspective, yes, absolutely it is. We, uh, you talked about it yesterday when you said they were probably going to hire a defensive-minded guy uh, to replace a defensive-minded guy in Pete Carroll. He said that's probably the way they were going to lean yeah. um, they do so now I will say for me it's unexpected um, this is not the name I figured I thought they were going to take a flyer on Dan Quinn um, and, and hire him to, to run that team I'm a little bit glad they, they go with some fresh blood uh, mm-hmm. it's an exciting thing to see someone get their first opportunity um, and another young coach I know we talked about the importance of hiring young well they do that um, and they they get a good guy to come in and, and lead a young core of weapons. Uh, I think it's a it's going to be end up, end up excuse me end up being a good relationship. Some of the weapons, I mean, Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf, JSN. Uh, that's just on the offensive side. Zach Charbonnet, Noah Fant uh, on defense. Daryl Taylor, Draymond Jones, uh, Reek Wolin. Quandre Diggs. This is a deep team. It's a Devin very good team. Too. Devin Witherspoon. Yeah. yeah, I can't believe I forgot Devin Witherspoon. What yeah. season he had, but it's a good team of, of good weapons. They just needed to hire the right guy to do it. Uh, the offense will be the question, but defensively, yeah, I think it's a great hire. I think this is one of the rare hires that I actually like them going a defensive route. Yeah. Seattle's kind of a defensive-minded team in itself. And when we were talking about yesterday, Ben Johnson taking his name out of the hat, Bobby Slowick taking their his name out of the hat. Um, I, I felt like the Seahawks were going to go defensive-minded anyway. Surprising that Dan Quinn was not hired. Yeah. Um, but I think when you compare the two and what they did this season and what they did in the postseason, uh, I think Dan Quinn's most recent performance against the Packers um, was not, not great. great. So that's not your best audition right before um, going into coaching conversations and coaching hiring conversations. And um, I think McDonald's brings a little bit of juice, a little bit of energy, Um, not trying to be, um, what is it, ageist or is is that the word for prejudice, whatever it is. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, getting hiring a 36-year-old guy after having Pete Carroll there for a while is a little bit of a new life, a new new heart in that team. And I think uh, McDonald's been one of the best defensively, uh, best defensive coaches out there, and I think it, it, he fits the the Seattle Seahawks bill pretty well. I mean, you name a, a lot of those guys they have on that defense, very talented. They've done a really good job through the draft, and I don't think that's something that's going to go away. Um, now the question is offensively, um, you can you can survive defensive-minded coach and a defensive-oriented team if you have really good quarterback play. The Seahawks don't have that, however. So that's my big question going in um, with this Seahawks hire is, okay, you hire a defensive-minded guy, now what's your plan for the offense, which has kind of been the loose leaf over the last couple of years. Yeah. You've seen strides of, of good play from Kenneth Walker and, and Charbonnet, um, and you always know you're going to get it done defensively, but the offense has been too inconsistent. Um so a little bit more about McDonald. Uh, has nine years of NFL coaching experience, all with the Ravens. Uh, he left the University of Georgia to join Baltimore as an intern in 2020, or excuse me, 2014, and held three different positions before going from John Harbaugh's staff to his brother Jim Harbaugh's staff at the University of Michigan as their defensive coordinator in 2021. He just spent one year there um, before taking the same job uh, with the Ravens. Um, McDonald has plenty, plenty of experience. Is he ready for the job despite his age? 
I think he is. Uh, he's just reaching his peak in terms of the success he's had, especially as a coordinator. Uh, the Ravens, obviously, an incredible defensive unit under his coaching. I, I thought uh, that his defensive scheme was very, very good um, for the talent the Ravens had, and we mm-hmm. saw it you know, exploit a lot of teams over the course of the season. They looked dominant. Um, so I think he is ready to leapfrog, take the next step, go lead a team. Uh, you know, you're at that age now. We just saw Gerard Mayo get hired at 37. You're at 36. Mm-hmm. I think it was a pretty good time there as well. And again, it's not like they're throwing him into a terrible situation. It's not like he's going to a dysfunctional franchise where they have a ton of problems. Uh, you mentioned quarterback play. I think that might be the primary thing. Um, maybe he goes and gets his quarterback, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but after that, you've got a team ready to contend. And all you got to do is take the wheel mm-hmm. and get a scheme in that works, and I think they can do just that. Why not give him a shot? I, I like it uh, compared to the other options they had, um, and I think it's a perfect time for him. Yeah, I, I look. I think the age is is in part a good thing. Yeah, I think he's a little inexperienced as a head coach, but he's done really well as a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, and I, again, you know, as we were talking about earlier, uh, giving a little bit of life, a younger guy, a, a different mind, um, a more modern defensive mind. I think it's a good thing, and I think he's proven at a lot of spots he's been at. Um, and, and keep in mind his resume. At the college level, University of Georgia and University of Michigan, those are really two good programs to be at. Um, and then he's had a lot of success with the Ravens, who have um, who had one of the best defenses this season. So I think he's got all the experience, and I think even though he's young, I think he uh, uses that age to his advantage by being able to kind of connect with the players a little bit more, um, having a different, modernized mind of defense. I think it's a good hire and, and a good position for him. Um what can we expect from the Seahawks now with McDonald at the helm? I think you got to go get a franchise quarterback. I think that's probably first and foremost. Um, Drew Locke, Geno Smith not getting the job done for you long term. Uh, keep one of them, I think, as your starter to, to begin. Uh, draft a guy uh, and, and you know, leave him there to mentor. Uh, and then you know get your guy for the future. The rest of the offense is young for the most part. Uh, Tyler Lockett at the tail end of his career most likely. But yeah. other than that, I mean, your top two receivers are still young. Your top two running backs are still young. Um, and it's a pretty good offensive line. All you got to do is plug in a good quarterback, and I think you could have a good offense for several years. Um, beyond that, I think this that could change their trajectory depending on who you draft. Um, I don't know off the top of my head where they sit in the in the 2024 draft. I think it's somewhere in the teens, I want to say, um, which is still going to be prime position for one of these elite quarterbacks. Um, perhaps a Michael Penix falls to you. Maybe you take him, keep him in home in Seattle uh, if you want to go that route. Um but, you know, that's your first step. Get a quarterback and then roll from there with the weapons you've got. Again, everything else pretty much has been given to them. Yeah, so to answer your question here, Seattle drafts 16th in round one. Um, they've got two third-round picks, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, sixth-round pick, seventh-round pick. So at 16, um, you're probably in the range of a Bo Nix, yeah. a Michael Penix. Um, are those franchise guys? I don't necessarily I don't know. know. Um, I think Penix has a little more upside than yeah. Nix does with his arm, um, but a- again, you know that's they've drafted really well, so their track record shows okay. We bring in the right guys, um, but I-, I think when we go in, going back into what we can expect from the Seahawks now, I think defensively they'll remain one of the better defensive teams in the league, and especially with how young they are and how well they've drafted on that side of the ball. Um, I-, I think they'll continue that. And um, real quick. Mouth's getting a little dry here. Um, 
I think they'll continue that. But now you got to go to the offensive side of the ball where you've got to get it done. It's an offensive-minded league now, quarterback-coached league. you got to bring in an offensive mind that's going to be able to uh, know how to use a quarterback, and if you draft one, know how to develop one too. Um, Geno Smith, great story two years ago, regressed this year to many uh, many people's, you know, not, not anyone's surprise, I should say. Um, Drew Locke is not a starter in this league long term. No. Um, great Monday night football performance against the Eagles, yeah. but um, that's about it. So I think you've either got to go, go buy a quarterback or, or draft one, and it depends on where they see this team right now because offensively, You've got win-now pieces. I mean, Metcalf isn't there for a, re- a rebuild. Tyler Lockett at the end of his career. Um, Noah Fant in the middle of his career. Um, so it's not like I could really see them uh, totally rebuilding the offense and kind of tanking this season. I think you've got to get a quarterback, at least if you're going to get one from the college level, that can come in and be successful right away. Um, I think that could be a Michael Penix with yeah. knowing how long he's been at the college football level and what he's been able to do in his most recent season. So I don't think that's a bad pick. Um, I think, are they a playoff team next year, I guess is the question. Because I think the Packers will be um, one of the better teams in the NFC next year. Uh, Cowboys, Eagles, 49ers, they'll still be in the mix. That's four teams. Um, And then, let's see here. Um, Rams, possibly. Rams, yes, yes. Rams back in the mix as well. I think this year was supposed to be a rebuild year for them, and – and they totally exceeded expectations. Um, so you got five teams. Uh, maybe the Buccaneers will be interesting to see what they look like without Canali. Um, the Saints, that, that whole division is weird. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to pick one of those teams out of that division. be interesting to see what they do with uh, a new coach uh, with the Panthers. Um, I, I guess I think Seattle could definitely be in the mix like they were this year. Uh, I think the Chicago Bears are another wild card as well. If they're able to either do really well with Caleb Williams or stick with Justin Fields, that's something we'll still have to figure out. But I think the Seahawks can be an infringed playoff team. Uh, I think a wild card team is fair. Um, but I, I think that should that be the expectation for them next year? Uh, I don't know. I think it, it kind of depends on maybe if, who you get at quarterback, whether that's draft or whether that's get a free agent. I think if you get a free agent, especially if you were to go land someone like Kirk Cousins. Uh, then yeah. maybe you're a, you're a playoff team. He has playoff experience, but if you draft someone, I don't think you can reasonably expect that. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Um, let's let's talk more about this offensive side of the ball now. Uh, will the Seahawks be able to fix these inconsistencies or inconsistencies offensively this year with McDonald right away? I, I I don't I don't really know. Immediately, I don't know. It depends on who he brings in on staff. Yeah. I think we'll have to see who he decides to to bring in on, on the offensive side of the of the coaching staff, um, and then from there, what he does at the quarterback position. I think those are going to be the two biggest things, and that's going to be item number one. I think for him in Seattle is find an offensive identity. The defensive identity is there. It yes. was already there for him. Yeah, that's a long-standing tradition of defense in Seattle. You don't have mm-hmm. to do anything with that. You've got pieces. You got the scheme already. You're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but finding an offensive identity is is pivotal. I mean, yeah. if you want to succeed in this league these days, um, even if it's just I think a small change, I think you just want to see improvement next mm-hmm. year. Not a full sale. Oh well, we're suddenly a top five offense in the league. Just see some improvement, see some consistency, mm-hmm. um, the ability to get into the you know high twenties, low thirties in games, contend in, in games that they become a little bit more of a of a track meet, um, but but nothing huge in year one, I wouldn't think. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to pull up the the free agent quarterbacks right now, um, just to get so we got Kirk Cousins, I think that'd be Baker your, Mayfield, I think is on there as well, which 
Yeah, Kirk yeah. Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett, Tyrod Taylor, um, some of these. Or Gardner Minshew, he's played well. He's played okay, yeah. Um, let's see, Easton Stick, no one's doing that. <laughs> uh, so, really, you kind of got Cousins, Tannehill, uh, Jacoby Brissett, but I don't think that's a, a long-term option. No, I don't uh, think Tannehill is either. Yeah, Jameis Winston's a funny one. I, don't, I mean, he could. he's had success. I, I think he's just a little goofy. <laughs> um, that that kind of counter the the defensive hard nosed mentality <laughs> of this of the Seahawks. I think their best options. I think Baker will resign with Tampa probably. So you're probably going to be down to Minshew, Tannehill, and Cousins. Cousins is, is your home run offer out of those guys, yeah, right? Yeah, but I don't think Tannehill's even good enough at this no. point in his career. So you're probably going to have to draft. Um, yep. And I think if you decide to draft and go that route, um, you've got to have an offensive mind back there that knows how to develop a quarterback, and also know how to coach one um, and, and during a season. So that's your first step. Then you got to get your quarterback. I think their offensive weapons are already there, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, offensive line I think is fine, middle of the class um, offensive line from them. So I think now you're just missing out of the four puzzle pieces to my um, successful offense in the NFL, an offensive mind and a, and a quarterback. So, um, look, if you have a rookie quarterback come in, You've already got a, a plethora of good receivers, a couple of good backs. I think it's a winnable scenario for them. Um, and, and very well could see a situation like C.J. Stroud this year. Yeah. You know, Stroud comes in, a defensive-minded coach, but he hits a home run on his offensive coordinator. Um, they've got a, a decent O-line, um, a lot of weapons that kind of were pieced together late in the season, uh, adding a guy like Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz, and, and you draft a guy in Tank Dell. Um, and then you know get Singletary and Damian Pierce in the backfield, kind of a similar situation um, to the Seahawks if they just hit on the coordinator and hit on the uh, quarterback. So I think it's um, not a far-fetched scenario for them if they wanted to get back into the mix in the playoffs. But um, you've got to go get your quarterback, got to go get your offensive mind. Yeah. All right, and that's going to wrap this segment up. We'll be right back with the Embiid injury last night. Very significant for the MVP and the Sixers going forward. We'll break it down right here on Overtime. Making a better vodka soda ain't rocket science. You just got to start with a better vodka. And then voila, you get a White Claw vodka soda. Your taste buds are about to get a PhD in deliciousness. JB Smooth only drinks vodka soda made with the world's smoothest vodka. Try the all-new White Claw Vodka Soda. Pick up a variety pack of their four delicious flavors. Only 100 calories, 4.5% alcohol, and 2 grams of sugar. White Claw Vodka Soda. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia, where your journey begins. Rogers Utility Solutions, a division of Rogers Hydrant Service, is a family-run Tennessee-based business since 2015. Now serving municipalities and residences in 14 states, Rogers offers fire hydrant flow testing, distribution flushing, and maintenance programs in accordance with ISO standards. Rogers also offers hydrant repair and installation, and they have the capability of repairing hydrants under pressure. For more information on Rogers' new sewer maintenance program, complete with mapping, cleaning, and camera inspecting, 
pricing, visit rogershydrantservice.com. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting-edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. Get the best for your team. Delivered right and on time. So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Back here on Overtime on a Wednesday night. Thank you so much for joining us. 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and join. Um, Let's talk about what went down in the NBA last night. Uh, Defending NBA MVP Joel Embiid injured his left knee in the final minutes of the Philadelphia 76ers loss to the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday night at Chase Center. With just over four minutes to play, Embiid was stripped by Golden State's Jonathan Kaminga while backing down Draymond Green. As Embiid dove for the loose ball, Kaminga dove as well and landed on Embiid's left leg, just below the center's knee. Uh, Embiid has missed 12 total games this season and is six absences away from becoming ineligible for postseason awards. The NBA instituted a new rule ahead of the 2023-24 season that a player must participate in 65 games and log at least 20 minutes in those appearances to qualify for the MVP award and selection on all NBA teams. So, Embiid's injury could present a huge problem for the 76ers. We just dove into the Heat yesterday and their problems. Uh, The problem for the Sixers is they've lost four straight games and dropped to fifth place in the East now. Um, They've been without rising star Tyrese Maxey for three of those games because of an ankle injury. And as for Embiid, uh, the injury runs the risk of taking him out of the MVP conversation before we even reach the All-Star break and also could really apprehend the Sixers' ability to get a good seed come playoff time. Um, how bad is this for Embiid and the Sixers? It is devastating. I mean, this could not have happened at a worse time for Philadelphia. You're already in a rut with Embiid on the floor, losing four straight. Now you lose him. You lose a lot of the identity of that offense, a lot of production, a, a mm-hmm. massive amount of production. It cannot be understated. Uh, how much Embiid brings to that team, and now without Maxi, you got to you got to hope he hurries back at this point. Um, without him, I mean, you got no wind in your sails at this point. You've already lost a bunch of games in a row. Um, and now, granted, you're going into a, a period here in the next six games that are not 
horrible. Uh, their next six games at Utah, home against Brooklyn, Dallas, Golden State, and Atlanta, which is not all that bad. Uh, Golden State obviously just beat them at Chase Center um, last night, uh, but still not horrible to have them at home in Philadelphia. And then you're at Washington. So you mm-hmm. have some winnable games in there, even without Embiid and Maxie, I think, um, just some kind of bottom-of-the-barrel Eastern Conference teams. But the problem is after that, you play Cleveland, the Knicks, the Cavs again, the Bucks, and the Celtics all in about a six-game stretch, which playoff is teams. bad. Yeah, yeah, that's and top half playoff teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Knicks have found their stride, the Cavs have found their stride, the Bucks have hired Doc Rivers, and we know what the Boston Celtics are. Uh, you you'd like to have Embiid and Maxi back by then. If you don't, it could really spell disaster for Philly. Yeah, so Embiid is averaging thirty-five points a night, eleven rebounds, five assists. Um, his production for the Sixers is through the roof. And with the absence of James Harden, think of what you will about him, um, they have lost a big piece of their production from last year, and Maxi has kind of filled that void uh, along with Embiid. Now you're missing both, both of them, and you're turning to Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, Paul Reed, Tobias Harris, no stray intended for him, uh, but he's not a a you know a, a difference maker night in and night out for this team. Um, so now they're kind of handicapped with a a roster that is centered around having both of those guys in the lineup. Yeah. Um, you know Patrick Beverly adds a lot of um, you know defense and adds a lot of tough mindedness. <laughs> but you know uh, you know having guys like KJ Martin and Daniel House and and Korkmaz in the in the rotations consistently and having to rely on them to be your scorers along with uh, Ubre, Marcus Morris, um, Paul Reed, Anthony Melton. It's a collection of good role players, but not players that are able to miss their stars for multiple games. You talk about that stretch of the Cavs twice, Knicks, Celtics, uh, and the Bucks. You know, one thing we talked about yesterday was the rest of the East has gotten a lot better over the last couple of weeks. Um, Pascal Siakam added to Indiana. The Bucks fire Adrian Griffin midseason, despite being 30 and 13. Um, hire Doc Rivers. That's going to change things up. Uh, Knicks adding OG Ananobi, I think, has been one of the best moves of the season. Absolutely. Uh, he was great for the Raptors. I've always loved him, and the Knicks fans are loving him right now because of the way he's been playing, uh, putting him alongside Jalen Brunson. And uh, for the Cavs, they've got. Um, Evan Mobley back in the lineup now, and they've been really good as of late as well. So all these teams are either getting healthy at the right time, adding pieces at the right time, um, changing rosters, changing um, the way things are done on a day-to-day basis. And now you might be able to put the Sixers in the conversation as the Heat. You know, both these teams are struggling to stay healthy, and the Sixers now struggling to find their groove without Embiid and, and Maxi. And obviously, that's expected. Uh, but if the goal is to you know make a run in the in the fi- to the finals, you've got to get healthy quick. And and right now the rest of your roster does not help you do that without uh, Maxi and Embiid in the lineup. Um, so now let's go to the MVP rule because when it first came out, I actually liked it because I think it incentivizes players to play at least seventy five percent of the season and be available on. You know, on road trips and, and give people the opportunity to see these world class world class players play night in and night out, but are also worried in a situation like this where a guy suffers an injury and it might not be a season ending injury. He could come back from it, but it might take two to three weeks, 
and that would knock him out of the the competition. And it's not like he can just show up and walk into the game and check in. He's got to play 20 minutes as well. So um, was the 65-game rule a mistake for the NBA? I think it is now. Again, like you, I, I liked it when they first announced it. Um, you know, there's always been that discussion about the load management discussion of players just resting. Um, and it does incentivize players to play all those games. But then you have situations like this where Embiid is almost forced to try to play more games than he probably should be mm-hmm. in a season at the level that he's playing and at, at the level of minutes that he's playing per night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's out there you know 40 minutes a night yeah that, that wears on your body it's not like a guy playing well he's he played 75 games but he's also playing 20 minutes mm-hmm. um it's a little bit different for the stars uh and it's he's not the only one that's been uh complain uh, not complaining but you know taken out of these awards and it's frustrated about it Tyrese Halliburton mm-hmm. uh, was actually vocal about being frustrated that he's going to miss out on awards now several other players uh, after Embiid's injury last night have joined that yeah as well very vocal including Draymond Green, who yes. was guarding Embiid yes. last night when the injury happened, um, so players are not happy with it. Obviously, coaches aren't going to be frustrated, are going to be happy with it because now they're losing star players to injuries, trying to force themselves into to postseason awards. Um, I think it was a mistake. It does mean you get to see those players more, but at the same time, now you get to see those players less because mm-hmm. now Embiid's going to be out for who knows how long yeah. uh, with another injury that he's not going to be on the floor. Whereas if maybe he sits a couple games, maybe he's not in, I won't say not injured right now, but there's less of a chance, I think, of something significant like this. Mm-hmm. Well, even last night he wasn't 100%. You could tell in that game tell. against the Warriors. Um, you know, he was, a, he was questionable before the game, game-time decision, uh, went through warm-ups, didn't look as explosive, played in the game, uh, did not look the same Joel and B that's averaging 35 points on 11 rebounds a night. Um, so... I do understand the frustration of forcing these guys to play, but I do see the other side of, okay, well, they're signing these bajillion-dollar contracts to play 82 games a year, and most of them are just playing in the 50s, um, the high 50s to low 60s. So I understand why the rule was put in place, but I think there should be criteria added that in an instance like Embiid, who is facing an injury, that misses multiple weeks, I think that should be added into it. And then you could be like, well, William, you know, they could just say the guy's out for two weeks because he wants to rest for two weeks. You know, there, there, there's so many different ways that, and loopholes that could break that. But I think if a player gets injured and it's a, a one that cannot take – it's not like a back spasm or a right knee soreness. I, I hate reading those knee soreness stuff, all the sorenesses. But if it's something serious like – okay, he's missing a, a couple of weeks for this, I think that should be um, either lifted or uh, taken away or not not penalized uh, for a MVP race or All-NBA place because are you really, at the end of the season, if Embiid plays 63 games, let's just say hypothetically, um, he plays 63 games this year, does not hit the criteria for 65, but averaged 35 a night and 11, uh, and 11 rebounds a game, is that guy not an All NBA player? You know, is that is that guy um, not a an MVP candidate just because he didn't hit a certain amount of minutes or, or games? I think it. You know, when you look back on these seasons, you're gonna be like, how the hell did Joel Embiid not win the MVP this year? Because he he averaged 35 and 11. Look at the the guy that won it. He was only averaging you know 28 and seven. And you're like, well, you know, he didn't play a certain amount of games. And I, I think I think it would affect history as well. It take away. Um, some of our our greatest players um, 
missing games to to alleviate what their season was, you know, and, and that is a, a a MVP level year for Embiid, and I think he should be the he's the favorite right now and should be the winner come the end of the season if he's able to come back. But with this new rule in place, it, it, it takes that away, and I think it, it it takes away from the history of the game and also. Um, the performances that Embiid puts up every night. Well, I think it's unreasonable to say that, that teams will just say, well, they'll rest him for two weeks and say he's out for two weeks with an injury. For a player like Embiid, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, if he's out for two weeks, he's out for two weeks with an injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team realizes the value that he brings and the wins that he adds to your total for the year. The player realizes that as well. You can't sit here and tell me that Joel Embiid doesn't realize what impact he brings to the Sixers on the yeah. floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the player wants to get out there and play basketball games. There's not a ton of players that are going to say, "Oh, I'm going to go sit out for two weeks because I don't feel like playing and I want to rest." Mm-hmm. They're going to get right back on the floor when they're back from the injury, like Joel Embiid will do, yeah, uh, and get right back to playing at a high caliber. So it that that take has always been unreasonable to me. Well, they'll just say he'll rest for three weeks. No, no yeah. team's going to do that with their star player. Yeah. Well, I I do I agree there. I I just was throwing that out because I, I know people oh, yeah, would, yeah, 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 would, yeah, would say that. Um, but you know I, I think. It just it takes away a a really good season and, and and I get the 65 games but I think there should be and we can make it after this year the Joel Embiid rule you know <laughs> uh, and and I think Adam Silver does a great job of adapting and 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 changing how he goes about things just announced today they're changing the NBA draft to two days now compared to one uh, might not be the biggest fan of that but still he's uh, he's adaptive he's innovative. And I think in, in, in a case like this, we could see a change possibly this summer. Um, if Embiid does miss significant time, though, uh, will they even make the playoffs? They're fifth right now, and you read off who they're playing here in a couple of weeks. Um, this roster right now, without Maxi and Embiid, is not capable of going through that gauntlet of a schedule, um, and they'll likely fall down the list. Making Missing the playoffs might not be the, the best question, Um but their seeding will be severely impacted. I mean, will they be above a sixth seed if Embiid misses a lot of time? I don't think so at this point. They were already in a rut with him like we were talking about. He was on the floor, and they still had lost four straight games. Um, so without him and without Maxi, I mean, they're going to continue to slide. Uh, this next six-game period is you know, crucial. they got to win some games in, in that period because after that, from the end of February on, their schedule's not great at all mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to win games. So they're going to have to start winning. They're going to start winning right now if they even want to be in a spot where they don't have to play the play-in tournament. At this point, it, I mean, as far as they're going to slide, I see them sliding all the way to the play-in at this rate. I just Without those two guys, the production that they bring, I mean, the excess production that Joel Embiid puts on the floor, I don't see them getting past anywhere from 7 to 10. I think they'll probably slide into that, have to play some more games, and just hope he can come back and help them then. But right now, it's, that's the highest I see for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull up the Eastern Conference standings at, at the moment here uh, to give us a little bit of a better read. Um, but, yeah, if he's not able to come back, that's a huge, I mean, huge thing. I mean, that that's dropping multiple spots. So, right now, um, Celtics at one, Bucks two, Knicks three, Cavs four, Sixers five. Um, Pacers sit two games behind them. Pacers getting Halliburton back healthy. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Siakam. Uh, they very well can move up, and then um, as as we talked about last night, the b- bottom half of the S or the, not the SEC East, the <laughs> the bottom half of the Eastern Conference is not very good. Yeah. 
um, with teams like the Bulls and Hawks under 500 at the 9 and 10 seed. Um, the Magic and Heat would be the, the only teams that would really be able to jump um, uh, Philadelphia into a, a lesser scenario where they're playing in the play-in game. Um, but I, I think if they're not able to get Embiid or Maxi back, um, quickly, then this thing could really quickly crumble. Um, I, I think Maxi will return sooner than Embiid will. Yeah. Um, Embiid is out on Thursday. He's having a, an MRI uh, yet to confirm anything on that. Um, but you know, if he misses multiple weeks, possibly months, then uh, I mean, is this season a wrap for them? Where, where, the, where do they go? Where do they uh, go from there? They don't have enough firepower. Tyrese Maxey is a great player, but is complemented well by the production that Embiid brings. And mm-hmm. by himself, I I don't see on that roster enough firepower to make a playoff run in a very very good top half of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, so I, I think um, if if they're not able to get him back, they're in trouble. Uh, we wish him the best. Want him to be Absolutely. back. On, want him to yeah. be back on the floor because. Um, you know, many people, including myself, kind of looked at this Eastern Conference as a three-man race, and then you go down, you've got a lot of contending teams. Um, like So the, the three-man race, Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, with and beat a maxi. And then the rest, you know, the Knicks, Cavs, Pacers, Heat, Magic, maybe. Um, and those are really your teams that are most likely going to be in the playoffs. But I think the Celtics, Bucks, and 76ers were so much above – uh, teams like the Knicks and Cavs at this point, um, just with the production they have and and the the veterans they have, um, like a Giannis, like a Jason Tatum and Brown, and a and a Joel Embiid. Um, so this could really knock them out of the race as well if they're not able to return. All right, we'll be right back here on overtime. Stay right here. White Claw is taking hard seltzer to new heights with White Claw Surge. At 8% alcohol, White Claw Surge is a stronger wave of refreshment that doesn't compromise on taste. Available in four bold waves of flavor like ripe blackberry, citrusy blood orange, zesty natural lime, and tart cranberry. Check out your favorite retailer in-store and online for the White Claw Surge variety 12-pack and 16-ounce single-serve cans. White Claw Surge, please drink responsibly. Is your home's exterior in need of a makeover? If so, it's time to call North Knox Siding and Windows. Transform your home's curb appeal with premium siding options. From classic to modern styles, they've got something to suit every taste. Upgrade to energy efficient windows that'll keep your home comfortable all year round while saving you money on your energy bills. North Knox Siding and Windows, get ready to fall in love with your home all over again. Online at North Knox Siding and Windows, Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia where your journey begins. Are you tired of looking at that piece of furniture that is wore down, but you don't want to get rid of it? Go see our friends at Sun Upholstery and Fabric. Locally and family owned and operated with over 67 years of combined experience. Located at 8913 Oak Ridge Highway. Give them a call today at 865-237-3272 or visit them online at fabricsun.com. That's fabricsun.com and be sure to tell Stan that you heard about him right here on Fan Run Radio. 
Are you ready to make your dream home a reality? Hi, I'm Bo Kregner, and here at the Kregner Group at Realty Executives, we know that finding the perfect home is more than just a transaction. It's about finding your sanctuary, your future, your happiness. Our team is dedicated to guiding you every step of the way, ensuring a smooth and stress-free journey towards home ownership. Whether you're buying, selling, or investing, we're here to help. Call me anytime at 865-742-1035 or just visit us online at bonoshouses.com. Rogers Utility Solutions, a division of Rogers Hydrant Service, is a family-run Tennessee-based business since 2015. Now serving municipalities and residences in 14 states, Rogers offers fire hydrant flow testing, distribution flushing, and maintenance programs in accordance with ISO standards. Rogers also offers hydrant repair and installation, and they have the capability of repairing hydrants under pressure. For more information on Rogers' new sewer maintenance program, complete with mapping, cleaning, and camera inspecting, visit rogershydrantservice.com. Back here on Overtime, final segment of a great Wednesday episode. Um, some news from a former Tennessee volunteer, Gerald Mincy, former offensive lineman, um, transferred to Kentucky and has been very active, I guess is a nice way to say it, on Twitter ever since he made the move. Uh, today coming out and saying, Kentucky has got to do more to earn it. I'm glad. I love the underdog role. So when we go there November 2nd to Neyland and we bust them in the mouth, we can put the standard back over here. Um, Mincy was a in-and-out starter for the Vols. Um, I, I, I liked him as a player when he was here. I thought he was a um, really good size for a lineman. Um, struggled staying on the field with some injuries. Also, yeah. um, just you know some X's and O's to it. But I, I liked him when he was here. I didn't yeah, have any, I too. any foul, foul feelings for him. But, I, you know... Of course, with this fan base, there's always people that will be willing to um, stick their neck out and, and say something. Um, what Your reaction to, to hearing him, this is not the first occurrence of it either. He's come out a couple of times now kind of clapping back at Tennessee. Uh, do you like this? No. Well, depends. Uh, no for him, um, just because I don't think you want to rile this fan base up. It's, we've seen it happen. How many times have we seen somebody from an opposing team say something before a game uh, and it doesn't go well. Tease yeah. Tabor um, mm-hmm. in in 2016. We saw how that game went. We saw how the atmosphere inside Neyland was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama 2022. They had Henry Tooto say, "Oh, it's just business and yeah. all that." Before yeah. that game, Tennessee wins, and the environment is uh, until the first quarter against Georgia, the rowdiest that Neyland has seen in a very long time. You don't want to do this with this fan base. It's a mistake. Yes, I think the first thing he said was a mistake when he when he was. Talking about how fans are turning their backs on him because he went to Kentucky. I don't know exactly what else he expected. Yeah. Um, from a fan base that does not like Kentucky. Yeah. Um, but this, to me, I mean, I, I cannot wait to be in Neyland Stadium on November second. I I have to go to this game now. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, if you saw this comment now, you're like, well, I hope I'm in that building because, I mean, that place now is going to be more riled up than it usually is, and mm-hmm. we've seen it gets riled up a, a lot. Well, I feel like over the past couple of years, when there have been games where certain stuff has been said either mm-hmm. the year prior following a game or, or the week of a game. I feel like the uh, energy always kind of takes up a, a couple notches. Um, South Carolina South this Carolina, year, yeah. You know, uh, they, they had the parade and everything. Or I, I guess 
we had the parade or something for beating them. Um, that was actually after the game. But after Tennessee lost to South Carolina, it was a uh, just a barrage of celebratory posts and, and comments negatively uh, towards Tennessee. They come to our house. We handle business. We put a pin on that date. The yeah, second that yes. game ended, hey, yes. be ready for September of 2023. Yeah, and you know, obviously the the Lane Kiffin return to kneeling was one yep. of those games. Very um, awesome environment. Really well. I mean, very well. Could have won that game if you know the what was that play? Tyler Barron stripped Corral, and they said the play was blown that dead. One, there were a few that the spot yeah. on fourth down. Yeah, oh my gosh. Joe yes. Milton throw that sailed through Cedric Tillman's hands. Yeah. Where it literally was in his hands. So and, with, yeah. with, the, with the quality of this team you have, though, you'd expect that in these moments they, they show up. So um, I would not want to give Tennessee bulletin board material, especially when Tennessee against Kentucky in football has not gone uh, particularly well for Kentucky. Um, and did not go well um, last year, did not go well this past season. Um, and, you know, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago, what, what, the COVID year, did Tennessee handle ten- Kentucky as well? The COVID year is the year we lost in Neyland like 34-6 to uh, okay, or something okay, like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my memories all, uh, all – I tend to forget about that game. Yeah. Oh, it, it was Kentucky. It is at Kentucky uh, when Hooker was playing. Yes, and, and, 2021. And we kicked their ass. Am I wrong on that? It was a close game, but I don't think it was just, It was not as close as the score said. We, okay. we handled them in that game. Okay. I, I, a handle win, at least I'll say. Maybe so, we won by 10 or something. Um, but all of this to say, I, I would not want to be, uh, especially coming from just playing at that school and now saying all of a sudden that, you know, um, you, want, you want to start throwing all these, all these comments in shade. I, I don't think that's the best idea. Um, I guess when you look at the 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 schedule for next year, um, where does this game now, with all this talk, rank among the other games? Um, obviously, you got Bama and, and Florida at home. Those will be really big ones. Everyone wants to beat Georgia. It's probably fourth, right? Yeah. Right in front of Oklahoma now, I think. Yeah. It's probably to, fourth. Well, you also you don't go to South Carolina next year. That's right. So. Yeah, I think it's probably solidly fourth now. Mm-hmm. I think Bama would still be one. Tennessee or uh, Florida probably. Florida might drop below Kentucky depending on what they put on the field next year. Really? We'll have to see what their product looks like. Well, I mean, it's always know, a big game, but I mean, I don't know how that team's going to look. Yeah, but you also got to keep in mind they were able to kind of derail our season early this <laughs> That's year. That's true. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of that revenge factor there. I think my four, my four biggest games slash circled games. Uh, Bama one, two Florida, three Georgia for Kentucky. I, I mean, I, I get the noise from Kentucky, but I mean, I like what you've been able to put out against them over the last couple of years. And this version of this this offense, especially if it pans out, you really want to give them bulletin board material. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about Mahomes the other day. The Ravens coming out and talking about him. The Bills coming out and talking. I wouldn't gonna want to give the guy that's had a lot of success uh, some bulletin board material. No, I wouldn't want to do that. All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Overtime. For William Patterson, Dawson Wise, we appreciate your time. We'll be back tomorrow for more Vols, more NFL, and more NBA. We'll see you tomorrow on Overtime.